welcome back to the Clever Hybrids podcast. This is Gabby B with Ida Lopez Gomez for season two, episode five. It's going by quick. Thank you so much for being here with us, Ida. Appreciate it. Hi, Gabby. I'm delighted to be here with you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. If you guys remember, we interviewed Alina last season in episode 12. So Ida is the other half of AP Consultants. We are a business couple, let's say. We've created this project with a lot of love and passion. It has been such an adventure to work with Paulina. It has been really, really awesome. Yeah, it's amazing what you guys are doing for the Hispanic community. You're living through one of your projects right now. The situation in Madrid, your hometown is going into the second wave of COVID and you just recently did some course studies with Harvard Medical School coping with stress of coronavirus and the mental health effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. What are some of the factors you learned in those courses that you're seeing play out now? Sure. It has been a pleasure and I'm really grateful. Sometimes we don't have these kind of opportunities. Luckily, Harvard Medical School opened this course and I was able to participate. It was really appropriate in this moment where we need to connect with each other and also the professionals. We need to, to have some support from the universities. I had the opportunity to learn some of the ways in which we can cope with coronavirus, more specifically with the psychological impact. If we create a magic button uh, or maybe a magical app where anybody who download this app could switch off the anxiety, do you think we will become millionaires? Yeah, that would definitely be helpful. This is a key word in this situation, feeling stressed, feeling anxious. Being able to understand why we are feeling this way may be a key factor in coping with coronavirus because even if you're not dealing with this disease yourself, you are watching TV or reading the news all the time, we are overwhelmed by it. Everyone is stressed by this situation and it is completely normal to feel different. It is completely normal to feel anxious. We cannot allow the anxiety to take the control. Otherwise, it becomes a challenge. So ask for help. Sometimes we have this thoughts about asking for help. It looks like it's, it's a weakness to ask for help, but it's completely the opposite. Being connected with others is going to help us cope. I am connected with you right now, and I am connected with Paulina and with other people, and we have been sharing knowledge. Ask for help. It could be a friend. It could be someone from your family or even a professional help. It is really important if you are feeling really stressed or are feeling really intense emotions. In terms of anxieties, it is important to know that anxiety is our friend, even if it's difficult to think that way. Anxiety is in our bodies because it has a purpose. Otherwise, it won't exist today if we need to face a death or life situation. It makes us to be prepared with chemical and biological processes. It is called the fly or fight response. But what happens when we are not facing a, a dead or life situation. This is the case with coronavirus. We are listening all the news, but maybe we are at home and we are safe, but we are feeling anxious. What can we do? First of all, we need to understand that this is not a dead or a life situation, that we need, don't need to fight or fly in this situation. And it is important to give ourselves the permission to feel this way. But what about 
other things like really intense emotions, for example, Gabi. This is something people may be feeling in this moment. Definitely. Even with some of my colleagues here in Germany, we have what's called Kursarbeit, which people still have a little bit of a furlough if they can't work right now. But in lots of countries in Latin America and in the U.S., in particular, people don't have that. So if they get laid off, they're just laid off. So you have that type of stress. Then there's that stress is not having enough money for food, for rent, things like that. The other thing when you have to deal with this type of stress, which unfortunately a lot of minorities deal with this, and also men in particular, is the stigma of getting help. So with mental health, it's just like any other part of your health. You have to get it taken care of. If you have a broken arm, you go to the doctor. If you're feeling stressed for a long time, you need to seek help. So it can be something that's private, but you still have to get some help for that. What do you do to help your clients to get over that first hurdle of feeling embarrassed? I really like you saying this, Gavi, because no one is speaking about this stigma and it has been shown in um, different research how this stigma is affecting us. And in some situations, it's worse the stigma itself than the anxiety. We need to be able to address this situation about the stigma. We need to be able to, as a society, be more open. So what we tend to do is be always open whenever we have a situation in which we have clients that they are feeling stressed with the stigma is we need to allow us to be humans we need to allow us to not be superheroes i i feel anxious sometimes i feel depressed sometimes one out of four people is going to experience a mental disorder so if you're in a room full of people one out of four had is having or will have a mental disorder. This means that you are not alone. I think we need to give this kind of messages. There's actually a really good campaign, I think it's from Scotland, called CIMI, which is fighting against stigma. I think we need to create this kind of campaigns, fighting stigma, for sure. That's true. Having that information is all also important to protect yourself. I've been seeing a lot in the news that there are more situations, especially with the lockdown, unfortunately, where there's been more domestic violence and other types of abuse. But if people don't know that this is not normal or they know something is wrong, but they don't know where to go, then they're stuck. So information on both sides of the issue is very important. That is why we need to be connected to charge our energy. If we are not connected, we are not going to be allowed to ask for help. I think a month ago in the American Psychological Association, they have uh, really good articles, even in LinkedIn. They had this article about how the small talks, the small chat we have with the people with whom we cross when we are going out are actually key for our mental health. It is key to be connected even with people that you don't know. It is key to be connected with the people that around you. So if you're having a bad day and you cannot speak with a friend, do not hesitate to go out and maybe have a small talk with someone because it has been proven that it works for our mental health. Yeah, that's true. You started studying psychology in 2011 and then working in the field in 2015, right when all of the big social media started coming out. So Facebook started 2004. 
Instagram was in 2010. So we have a, a lot of things that even the past 15 years are new where people are connected, but they're not really connecting. How have you seen that with your patients? We need to be really grateful for having this kind of technology. And we both, as expats, we know that is precious to have the possibility to be connected with your people, with, with your family, when they are so far away. But it is true that even in this age where we're a click away from this family, we are sometimes not connecting with people. Even face-to-face, -face, it is difficult to connect nowadays, isn't it? So maybe that is the key, to be able to get connected, but try to make significant and meaningful connections, even if you're speaking again with the cashier or with, with someone in the bakery. We need to be 100% there because it happens. Sometimes we're speaking with family or with, you know, your wife, your husband, your friends, but you're not 100% there. You're checking out your WhatsApp or thinking about the things you need to do afterwards. And it is true, we, we don't get to connect at all. And actually, some research has shown how not being connected is getting people to feel more isolated and how feeling isolated is getting people to feel more, de more depressed. So if you are going to be away from people, we need to make sure that we're going to try to be at least 99% or 90% in the situation. Yeah, that's definitely true. What would you suggest to someone who might be going through a lockdown? How can you have a, a meaningful conversation? We may need to go case by case. This depends on everyone's situation, but for sure, try to decide the time in which you're going to do it. Because if you're trying to call your mom and right after the conversation with your mom, you have an important meeting. You're not going to be there 100%. You're not going to be enjoying your mom in that moment. And I think we also need to limit the time we are exposed to technology. But what if we can keep a moment to even connect with ourselves in a, in a meaningful way? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, with all this technology, I even had to find a screenless hobby because after a while, your eyes start to hurt. <laughs> and then you're, you start sitting like this, all hunched over. But it's also too much for your brain. You get this overload, like, I can't deal with this anymore. So that's that's very important as well. It is true. You cannot spend 8, 9, 12 hours uh, with screens because it's really addictive. The dopamine that your brain is going to secrete is going to be a really huge amount. The thing with dopamine is going to make you do it again. And it's going to get you activated and then you're going to go to sleep and then you're not going to get any deep sleep. You're going to be trying to check your phone again. So I think we really need a schedule for, for screens. That's true. Mm -hmm. Rolling back a little bit, talking about the importance of information here. You and Paulina just started your own podcast about psychology in Spanish, which is amazing. But why was that important to make something like that? Why is it so important to have access to information in your native language? Mm, that is a really good question. And I really like that topic. Sometimes we tend to look for people who speak our language or who understands our culture. But I think culture is something which need, needs to be addressed always in therapy. And it is important to have the other person understanding that we are dealing with this situation with having a different culture 
that may be addressed for sure. I have been living in, in Boston for two years and, and I, I have experienced this situation myself. Sometimes I was going to the doctor or sometimes I was uh, doing my errands. And you have these days when you need to speak with someone who, who speaks your language or who, who understands your culture because you're having a bad day. I spoke with our friends who were expats as well, and they were feeling the same. I would like to ask you as well, Gabby, if, if this happened to you, because sometimes we feel homesick and, and in these moments in which you need to open yourself, it is key to have culture addressed and taken consideration. Yeah, definitely. I struggle with that. And I'm also stuck in the middle a little bit too, at times, because I'm an African-American who grew up speaking Spanish and English, who now lives in Germany with that culture, but then my husband is East African. So I'm in the middle of a whole bunch of stuff all the time. When I get frustrated or upset, it takes me a minute to express myself because I have to switch from Spanish to either come out in English or my husband's language or even German sometimes. So already being upset is very exhausting emotionally, but then to have to translate what you're feeling before it comes out of your mouth is also very mentally exhausting. I, can, I completely understand what you're expressing because I can give you an example about that kind of situation. This is happening in the U.S. and, and you know better than me. Uh, these places in which African-American women are having difficulties to go to college because they, they are facing racist violence every day. I had the opportunity to go to a conference when I was in Boston and this teacher she was African-American uh, and she was saying, we cannot say to these women to be relaxed. We cannot say to these women to be mindful. They are facing a real danger going to college. And it would be really hypocrisy to say to them, yeah, to, you need to calm down. You need to relax. You need to breathe. This is why I think culture needs to be addressed because we cannot say that to these women. They are facing real danger. Yeah, I think... When you take into account that culture, especially those deeply ingrained things, you can help that person first deal with that portion, the underground part, and then deal with the symptoms of that. Even for professionals, we need to be extremely aware about what we're saying and what we're doing. And culture is part of this. We need to consider culture because otherwise we, we may be saying things like this. So this is why I think culture is something really important. And sometimes if we, if we have the privilege of not facing these kind of situations, we may forget about this part of reality that is happening, culture. That's true. Like you're mentioning, it's also very important to be open. If you don't understand, ask. I don't really understand how this works. Could you explain to me your actual situation or what you've dealt with in your experience? That way you can be more engaged and educated for the next time you deal with that. Exactly. With this pandemic, a lot of people are stressed. Some of them are stressed because they have educational goals that are put on hold. Now, you took TOEFL. IBT before it was cool, the internet-based version of test of English as a foreign language. Why did you decide to get your level of English certified and why online? I was applying to a PhD program in LA and I needed to have the TOEFL. 
And it was a challenge. In Spain, we study English from preschool, but never get to practice and use it in a way in which is going to make us competent speakers. So yeah, it was a challenge for me, actually. I think it's a really great opportunity to invest in learning a new language. Languages has opened to me uh, lots of doors in life. I, I am really grateful for my past teenager self to invest time in learning languages. I'm able to connect with you because I learned English. Otherwise, I won't be here communicating with you. I won't have the opportunity to go to Boston. Yeah, that's very true. With the pandemic going on, we can't travel anywhere, but lots of companies are looking for talent that speaks English well. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of larger companies even saw that they were very focused and overly developing their contacts in China. So now they're trying to open it up a little bit. The big one, especially for companies in America, are people who can speak Spanish, mi gente. Are you paying attention? <laughs> Actually, when I was doing my master's here, here in Spain, uh, I had the opportunity to go to Boston. So I went there as a psychologist who speaks Spanish, and I worked with communities who speak Spanish. That is why I'll get that work, because I was able to speak English and to speak Spanish. And it was huge, because when I was in Spain, I, I wasn't feeling that my mother tongue was going to help me to help people. And then I moved to the States, where I found that I was able to work with Spanish, with my language. So having both was the key. So I, I can relate completely with what you're saying right now, Gabi. Yeah, that's true. When you were talking about cultures earlier, this is the same thing where you were the, the clever hybrid in the middle, trying to help the Latino families get the help they needed from the English speaking psychology professionals. Mm -hmm. There you go. Mm -hmm. I can only be grateful for that opportunity. I was able to work with uh, familias Latinas, la Latino families. They open their heart to my team. I was working with other person who was giving support uh, during the therapies. We did home-based therapy. It was amazing because I was, yeah, the, the key part between the community, for example, the school, the, whenever we had meetings, I get to go with my families and be there for them, be their voice in these places in which they, they weren't able to speak that language. Yeah, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. True. One thing I've, I wanted to ask you about, it because we as normal lay people, we always get these two confused. What is the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist? Oh, that, that is a huge question. I, <laughs> I will try to answer correctly. To be a psychiatrist, you need to be first a doctor. Then you get specialized in psychiatry. To be a psychologist, you do a degree in psychology which is different we don't get to administrate any drugs or medications if we are clinical psychologists we work with behaviors thoughts emotions changing mindsets motivation things like that psychiatrists in general take care of the drugs the medication but also the diagnose sometimes they do therapy as well 
It's more complex than this, but in general, this is the difference. Hmm, okay. So would those two disciplines work together on a case? Oh, most of the time we work together. For example, when I was in Boston, I worked with um, most of the time with kids from zero to 21. And there was always a psychiatrist in the team who was the one who was doing the follow-up in terms of drugs and medications, but also doing the diagnosis sometimes. My part was providing the therapy at home and communicating with school-based services and, and being the connection, the hub in between all the services. Maybe the psychiatrist was just visiting the family once a month or twice a month. I was visiting the family every week. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Doing the wrap-up here, you said you started really focusing on your English when you were a teenager, but now that you've been living in Spain for a while, how do you keep your English strong? That is a challenge sometimes. I have some clients who are English speakers. Then I also watch TV series and films and movies in English as well. But even from my work, I, I need to be posted, let's say. So I always read in English, for example, the, the APA, the American Psychological Association. Most people have reading and listening down, but it's the output that most people get stuck with speaking and writing. So it's very important, as you said, to practice those daily. I have the same problem when I'm studying one language that I start to forget words in the other one. So you have to make some time to refocus your brain. For, for Spanish speakers, the challenge is the accent sometimes. We become stressed and worried about how is that going to sound. When I moved to the States, I was really worried about how people were going to recognize me as an outsider because of my accent. And after being there for two years, I learned that it is good to have an accent. I'm doing the effort of learning a new language to be part of a new community. And I think that is something that you actually can be proud of. You cannot erase your background. That is your accent. And it's good. That's true. One thing I tell my students when they get nervous about their accent, I'm like, you know what having no accent sounds like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone has an accent, but it's the pronunciation that we should be thinking about. What happens a lot with Portuguese, Spanish speakers, any language really, is they bring their pronunciation from their first language over to English, and then some words are not understandable. Or even writing, if there's a, a B or a V or a P or a T or D, those are usually the ones I see that have some issues. They can sometimes get switched. So that those are the points that most people should be focusing on. But enjoy your accent. It's cool to, to be dealing with people from other places. For Spaniards and for Spanish speaker, it's difficult to pronounce the SH sound. English, for example, I was really worried. Once I went to the court to represent one of the families uh, with which I was working, and I was really worried about that. They completely understood me. I was speaking and they were getting the information I was saying, and I was not pronouncing everything perfect. Not even my grammar was perfect because it is difficult to do it perfectly, but everyone understood me. Definitely. Most of the time, people are very helpful here in Germany, too. But we'll end with that great point. Thank you so much, Ida. How can people get in touch with you and Paulina? Where can they find your podcast? Sure. We are online. We are apsychologyconsultant.com. 
And we also are in Instagram, Spotify, LinkedIn. We have our podca podcast, which name is Full Disclosure with Con Ape. And remember, mi gente, este podcast es, es en español. Si quieren ayuda con su salud mental. <laughs> we have our last episode in English. We've interviewed a journalist, and that is in English. So we have some interviews in English as well. Oh, fancy. Okay. <laughs> that was a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. And I was here 100% of the time, and it was meaningful for me. We were speaking about this, but I want to tell you that it was really good to be able to connect with you. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed it as well. And for those of you out there that are watching this with us, if you'd like information on how to become a clever hybrid like Ida, whether it's an English course or editing of your writing, helping your team, please feel free to contact us on thecleverhybrids.com. But until next time, keep learning by doing and asking. Hasta pronto!